for just about everything for the outdoors. Go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Elk draws throughout the states are lining up, and the elk hunting fever is heating up, y'all. And a bunch of our grinders out there already know where they're planning to hunt this season. But there's still one big question that we keep getting. When do we think the best seven days will be to hunt elk this season? What if he can only hunt weekends? Are there better weekends to hunt than others? Would the best days be different for a newbie versus a veteran elk hunter? Well, y'all, let's just talk about that. That discussion, our Elk Bros shout-outs and questions from our awesome Elk Bros mailbox. So, my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkBros.com, with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and elk hunting coach, Joe Gilly. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And as always, for those blue-collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host of your show, coming to you from Spring, Texas, and from Katy, Texas. That's right. We got the leader of the Venezuelan Mafia with us, Mr. Luis Gonzalez, and we've got the legend in the house from Cuesta, New Mexico, Mr. R.C. Knox. And from Cimarron, we've got your elk hunting coaches, Chab, the Ninja Chavez, and, and Mr. Joe Gillia. What is Joe Gillia, WWJGD in the house? And joining us, our special guest to chime in. That's right. The Cali Coon ass transplant all the way to colorful Colorado. And the man with the pimp in the box, the golden voice, Mr. God Duplanche is in the house. Hey, guy. How we doing, uh, gents? What's up, brothers? Good to be back. What up, fellas? 
Yeah, so, so we got a new name for uh, a new nickname for the legend. Oh, really? <laughs> He's now the survivor. The survivor. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. The Hawaiian survivor. Hawaiian survivor. Yeah. Absolutely, Ooh. man. The guy, the guy lives in Siberia, and he went to Hawaii to catch a cold. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. Too much sun. Too much sun. Yeah. How do you, do you enjoy all those little things coming in a brother? can like this? I don't know. Maybe it was just those little things that come in the can. <laughs> or a bottle. <laughs> or just a bottle or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Wait, now the tell me, are were you there, were huh, you man? asking for the drink with a little umbrella on him? Oh, no. Uh, oh, I would, no I would have got those. No, the uh, sword with the pineapple and cherry, though. There you <laughs> yeah, go, buddy. The server with the pineapple and the cherry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, 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 for those people that aren't able to see this, I mean, you're hearing the voice, man. You're hearing what we call him, the voice, right? You're hearing the voice, but if you're seeing this on YouTube. Mr. Duplantier has a whole different look to this studio, man. And, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and guess what? You're talking to us now in mountain time, bro. Yeah, brother. Straight up mountain <laughs> yeah. time. Western slope living, man. It's freaking Like I awesome. said, from colorful Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Tell us about man. the move, guy. How was it, man? It was, uh, it was busy, man. You know, we, uh, literally loaded up the moving truck in a day. Picked it up Thursday at 10 a.m. We loaded it up. We were done by 9 p.m. Slept on the floor of the house and then woke up the next morning, hit the road and did, uh, I drove a 26 foot Penske box truck loaded to the gills, man, over two days. You know, we, we made it into Utah. We hit St. George and, uh, slept for the night and rested the wife. She was in her car driving and then made the jet, the rest of the drive, uh, Saturday. So and, a twenty uh, foot Penske, man. I mean, twenty six. That, 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 that fits your your elk hunting gear. What what'd you do with all the house stuff? It was in my wife's. I had it. I had my wife driving down the highway like this. Looked like <laughs> the clamp is coming to town. <laughs> Mattress blowing up in the front. <laughs> yeah. uh, guys, that the first time you moved in a long time. Twenty years, dude. Wow. Yeah, How does a person pack a, a life of 20 years into a trailer and move it, man? That's you got a lot more stuff than you think. You know, what's funny is that we were the, we were really good about going through stuff. I mean, you know, this has oh, been a process, cool. right? Something that we've been working on for a little while. So as we started just going through things and, you know, unloading, if you will, stuff that, you know, sits in boxes, right? We had like kids kindergarten coloring, mm. you know, schoolwork. And it was like, why do we have two boxes of this stuff? You know? So we narrowed that yeah. down to like half a box. Mm. Sorry, kids. Sorry, kids. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't, it, it really wasn't that bad. Right. And, and being that it's just the wife and I, you know, we, we dumped a bunch of stuff, um, unloaded one full bedroom at the other place and gave stuff away and just tried to lighten it as much as we could. It was, uh, it was cake, honestly, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't know what I do, man. I think I'd have to torch the house, man, and just let it all go up. Cause yeah, the, the hardest part about it was, was considering the drive, right? I mean, you're driving and it was just like, oh man, 867 miles in a 26 footer, but man, Penske did good for us. That's awesome. The hardest part was coming, you know, hitting that 70 off the 15 coming up over the passes and that truck would slow down to 30 and I'd be creeping. I just told her, just, just get going. I'll see you in a couple hours. 
Yeah, going over those hills is something, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. And that was one of the reasons that we stopped in St. George, right? Because we could have made the drive in the day. But in a truck like that, that high old center of gravity with all that load and, and just, you know, this mm-hmm. time of year is not favorable for for moving, especially if you're traveling, you know, in the PM hours. So. so are you willing to tell everybody what your new hometown is? Newcastle. We're in Newcastle. Oh, Newcastle. Newcastle. Really? Yeah. That's awesome, brother. Yeah, it's amazing, man. Town population is less, it's a, a third of what my track was in California. Right. It's crazy. And, and, and you've seen more elk already in the little time you've been there than you did all last season. <laughs> <laughs> Damn near, man. I mean, right, right behind us, we have a, a, there's a drainage about, I don't know, not even a hundred yards from the house that drops down and then, you know, goes back up on a hillside and I can sit in the backyard and watch elk and deer, you know, run on that hillside in the morning and the evening. And you drive down, you know, get on I-70 and go either direction and you're looking at elk. So, ah. Uh. Like a cool. big and slow nightmare. Yeah, and <laughs> you're out there between Rifle and Grand Junction. Yeah, we are. We're nine miles east of Rifle. That's big old field mm-hmm. country right there, brother. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's all right, right down there. <clears throat> well, and Gil, man, uh, bro, you, you seemed like you were struggling a little bit when you were doing the intro there coming in. I mean, is that is that all <clears throat> the pain from that wounded wing? That you got there, man? No, Joe, that's just, uh, my rider. He's got a little bit of, a little bit of block there where he tries to throw curveballs at you and everything. But no, it's all good. Um, yeah, big O had a little, <laughs> big O can't fly, fellas. Let me tell you, when you put 285 suspended, something's got to give, right? So, uh, yeah, um, at the end of the day, um, I tore my, I have a distal tear in my bicep. Um, and it's, uh, torn off the bone. I've got a really good bruise, right? I don't know if y'all can see it, but it runs from right here all the way around, uh, because your that bicep tendon comes all the way around, wraps into your elbow and, uh, that's where it tore from. So, um, I don't have to have surgery. I can actually kind of, it probably heal in about three to four weeks on its own. And I'm so active and everything. I like to bow hunt, like to, you know, do those things. Uh, you know, I pitch a lot to my kids and everything. I think for quality of life purposes for me, it's going to be better for me to have the surgery. So, yeah. um, I, I go Monday to have, uh, the MRI done. <clears throat> I've already met with the, uh, the doctor. And so Monday we'll have the MRI done. I take the film straight into the surgeon and then hopefully seven, eight days later, we'll have the surgery yeah, and be back on the road for recovery. When I got <laughs> that text from you, but I was like, what? No, it was yeah, like, unbelievable, man. Scared the yeah. crap out of me, really. I yeah, mean, the text, the text was a little, yeah, impactful. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was gonna, be, it was worse. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> look, I've, I've, you know, I don't know how many times I've been up and down, you know, tall ladder stands and tree stands and stuff like that. It's got this, this happened. It's six foot, you know. I crawl up this, this guy builds a brand new blind on our place, and then I don't know, he threw some wood together to build his steps up to it. And the top step broke. And when the top step broke, everything went down. And I tried to catch myself with one arm. And uh, like uh, I said, wasn't really that high off the ground. But as the <laughs> when I look at the matter. design of the steps, it's horrible. So um, mm. at the end of the day, um, I should have been a lot more studious about checking how rickety it was or anything. Yeah, like kind of like you did at my place and, and, uh, yeah. uh, where it took you about half an hour to get up there and it's like, it's only like 12 feet high. 
But dude, mm-hmm. I envisioned that when he said he fell out high. of a blind. These guys are horrible like, geometry guy. I'm like, dude, <laughs> if he was up in one of Luis's blinds, what the heck? You know, yeah, I might really hurt myself. So that's uh, <laughs> I mean that we, we we make light of that, right? But that is is one of the the major major causes of, of yes. death and injury, yes. not just in hunting, right? But I believe, if I remember correctly, the OSHA standard is most incidents on on falling is is four to six feet yeah. is yeah. the most fatal in anything. You're you know? required to be tied off above four yeah, feet. Above four. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's something, you know, I hope folks are hearing that. We're laughing at Gil, but you know, you climb up them stands and ladder stands, the box blinds, whatever it is, don't take it for granted. Yeah, so you try to keep in up. mind the 100% tied off rule. Yeah. Um, and we're only so. laughing now because we know he's okay, man. Before, we I, were freaking, but... but yeah. You know, yeah. I, was showing the, I was showing the lease to a client and, uh, man, he was like, Dude, are you all right? I'm like, no, I'm kind of far from all right, brother. Uh, I said, my arm is killing me. And, and I said, I got this burning sensation in my leg and I could walk and everything. But what had happened was one of them screws that come out of the rungs was real nasty and jagged and rusty. It just took, tore about a half moon around my leg, all the way around my calf and thigh. So it was a pretty good gash. Uh, luckily I had a, uh, first aid kit in the, in the, uh, the side by side. So we put some peroxide on it and, uh, cleaned it up as good as we could put some bandage on it. And, you know, I, uh, I took off and went, you know, we, I finished showing him the ranch. The guy's like, you, you don't want to go to the hospital. I said, oh man, I tore my bicep. You know, this is part of it. I said, I'm going to show you where he goes, dude, I'm going to buy a spot just because you're a tough son. Anybody can ride around for four hours, their bicep tore off the bone and bleeding like a sieve out of their leg, man. That's a dedicated cat, you know. You didn't have to get a tetanus shot, Gil? I did, yeah. So, yeah, my left arm's more sore than my right arm for Uh getting a tetanus shot. Uh, I'd had one. I thought I'd had one about 10 years ago. Uh, but I'm, I, I couldn't, my Dr. Kelly, Dr. Kelly couldn't see it. He didn't see where I'd had a tetanus shot, uh, within the past 12 years. So I went ahead and got one. So my we're brother, on demand, man. My brother is a salesman. The dude will go far for a sale, man. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, man, we, we'll get it done, uh, for sure. And, and look, I, you know, I feel like I, I hadn't tried it yet. And the doctor told me the other day, she said, you can't hurt it any worse. It's tore. You know, it's yeah. tore up. It's kind of like when you, you know, tear your knee up and, and you just, you know, uh, tear your ACL or MCL. It ain't going to get any worse, man. So, I mean, it is what it is. So I'm real tempted to reach back here and grab my bow and draw it back. See what it looks like me drawing it back. You man, know? you ain't no spring chicken, brother. You better not mess around. You know, I'm, I'm having to realize some of that guy and I'm really bucking that idea. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm going to have to be a lot more cautious about some things that I'm doing and, uh, things like that. But, um, you know, I'm, my son goes, so I had to challenge myself. My, my cousin, who my late cousin, Ty Lothringer, he loved to fish on his birthday and, and Sunday was his, his birthday and we always fished on his birthday. And so Logan and I, I said, look, I'm going to wake up Sunday morning. Let's see how I feel. Uh, and if we can get on the water for a little while, we're going to go get on the water for a little while and honor Ty with a beautiful sunset. He, he, my, my cousin was enamored with sunsets and sunrises. That was kind of his deal. So, uh, we spent a little time on the water. I think y'all probably saw my 
IG post and uh, my arm was tore, but we absolutely murdered the fish. So I can, I can fish. I can reel a rod and reel. Uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of things I can do, but I want to get back to a hundred percent and I will never be a hundred percent without the surgery. Yeah. And we're going to need you because we got a, a pretty cool announcement tonight to, to make to everybody out there. Yeah, man, Joe, this is, this is something that we've been working on for a long time. Uh, been great ideas between me, Joe and the crew. Uh, we had a big long meeting about it at, at hog camp this year. Uh, and it was straight, man, guy, we got to get you to hog camp with us this someday for sure. You got to come out of them Colorado mountains and come chase some of these wild pasture roaches we got down here. Fine with me, uh, brother. But, uh, it was, uh, it, it was spawn. Many years ago, but Joe, I'm going to let you tell everybody about it. We're so excited about what's coming up with, uh, with this Elk Bros Adventures deal. Yeah. We talked about Elk Bros Adventures on the, you know, the development of that. And we yeah. talked about a big announcement that's coming up. Guys, by the time this comes out, you will be able to go to elkbrosadventures.com and you're going to be able to see where we are going to have one lucky winner that can win an elk hunt with the elk bros. And that is something we are really excited about. It's, uh, it's going to be an, uh, elk bros adventures giveaway. Um, all of the rules and everything will be there. The winner of this giveaway will spend seven days, seven days archery elk hunting with old one arm there. And the rest of the crew, uh, the entire elk. I'll be two arm ready to go by then, buddy. Peto's gonna be unleashed. Exactly. <laughs> it will be unleashed, man. And it will be right here in the land of enchantment in New Mexico. And this is gonna be the beginning of September. So if you're interested in winning an elk hunt, um, with the Elk Bros crew through Elk Bros Adventures, go check out elkbrosadventures.com and you'll see everything there. I'll also have a link to the giveaway in our show notes so you can get it there. And we're actually going to have two different hunts with the elk bros. We've got the giveaway, which is the seven day hunt, but there's going to be an elk bros coached dreaming of the screaming hunt in New Mexico as well. So, but the second hunt, you know, the first hunt's a giveaway. The second hunt is a purchased five day hunt that's going to have limited spots towards the end of September. So we're going to have the one that's going to be the giveaway and we're going to have the purchase hunts. Both of those will be with the Elk Bros crew. And for us, like you said, Gil, man, I mean, this is something that is, we're doing this right now, but this is going to go into our training camps. This is going to go into um, our seminar stuff. It's going to all lead into where we want to take this as far as being able to help other people be successful at all different levels. And what's so awesome about the hunt idea is that, you know, whoever that is that wins to be with us, they're going to experience every one of the bros because they're going to be able to hunt with all of us, man. And they get contacted before they ever get to the hunt by our success team. You know, they're going to have Luis getting with them on uh, their setups, on their on their bow and their, their arrows. They're going to have Chav getting a hold of them on getting – 
physically prepared for the hunt. You're going to talk to them, Gil, about, you know, failure points to, uh, watch out for. We're going, I'm going to be contacting them on setups and, and calling. So they're going to get coaching and there's going to be more and they're going to get all that coaching prior to ever putting feet on the ground during the hunt. So yeah, it's exciting stuff and a dream come true, man. I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Imagine being able to be coached, having a mentor with you helping you flatten that learning curve, you know, partnering with you out there and not enabling you, not out there putting an animal in front of you, not responsible for your success. Instead, they are empowering you to be a better hunter, letting you do the things and make the decisions and do the calling and them there to help train you in the actual situation. It's just, it's just really cool, exciting stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, Joe, our vision is to start in the land of enchantment there in New Mexico, and then who knows where this is going to yep. take us, Colorado, Montana, Wyoming, where, yeah, wherever it's going to take us, I mean, we're going to let the the people speak out. And, you know, there's a lot of people that can't afford a guide or don't want a guide, but they want to learn. And uh, Joe and I have spent most of our lives being coaches, Chav. Uh, we spent most of our lives coaching people and this is our passion. It's what we really love to do. And, you know, we're going, we're going to make this work come hell or high water. So I'm extremely excited about it to be working with the best, some of the best elk callers, the best elk, elk hunting coaches and a team of guys that I truly respect and love, you know, so there's, there's something to be said about that working with men that you respect and that you love and you trust, you know, so uh, we're really excited about Elk Bros Adventures. Y'all get to the elkbrosadventures.com and check this stuff out. This is exciting stuff and a dream come true for all of us. Absolutely. Hey, and, and, and just so you all know, just, okay. Put yourself out there in the middle of the woods with the elk bros around the campfire every night, you know, having a blast talking about our hunt during the day. Joe is going to let some us, of the best food you've ever eaten in your life. Yeah. And Joe is going <laughs> to let us, you know, uh, have a fire pit every night there while we have all these conversations. And, you know, it's, it's going to be awesome guys. And so just think about it. It is like, you know, and then, and then wait, you man. can pick up, I'll give you all the tools that you need so you can pick a Manano every single day, day in and day out. <laughs> well, we'll it's have gonna RC be there to keep awesome. straight, man. RC will Absolutely. Excuse me, I thought, I thought we were bringing somebody on to help pack animals out. <laughs> yeah. there you go there you go man i tell you what it was one of my biggest honors last year is to look up and see rc knox with a bull on his back with one of my bulls that i've killed i've hunted a long time with rc and uh just an honor to look up and see some horns on his back and you know those of you that don't know the legend rc knox he's been around more bull elk than i'm at probably all of us combined but he never backed off one and I know his knees were hurting him. His asthma was giving him fits. He never backed off an inch and took my bull back down that mountain the same way we came up, which was brutal. Absolutely brutal. But, uh, man, I'm telling you, that's why I ride the river with these guys. They're unbelievably, uh, passionate and they, they love, they love elk hunting and, uh, everybody chips in. I mean, Joe and them guys came from miles away to come help us. Um, you know, right down from to Rob Canales and Cole Wilkes. I mean, it was a, it was damn, damn sure a labor of love to get that bull off the mountain for sure. You know, but, that's um, something that a lot of people don't really talk about too is, you know, whenever you 
see guys out there packing animals out. Everybody looks like they're just, you know, rock solid taking things out. And you don't, you don't really hear about the little aches and pains that a lot of people got to get through. I mean, there's so many things that people have to deal with sometimes to do this and, and that can make it difficult. But you know, it, it, it's interesting when you were talking about RC and RC's had difficulty with them knees for psh, how many years, man? Ever. And forever. Uh, <laughs> but, I, yeah. but I've never seen him not getting it done in the hills. Exactly. And, you know, I mean, he's been dealing with some breathing issues and stuff like that, but come elk season, it's amazing, yeah. man. It's like, it's like the gods just went, poop, you're okay. You know, no, okay. that's, yeah. that's, that's character. That's character. Yeah. That, that tells you about the character of, yeah. about, about elk hunters, about hunters in general. That's the kind yeah. of stuff that, that makes me love our demographic, man, is, you know, guys are going to go out there and they're going to get it done come hell or high water and they're going to see their boys through, right? Just like Gil said, mm-hmm. riding the river, you know. Look, Canalis had a broken foot or something like that. I mean, yeah. it was, some torn ligaments, right, in his daggum foot. And then Brendan, we didn't know, but Brendan had a broke foot too. You know, so I mean, these guys, these cats were really sucking it up, uh, and, and helping one another. Uh, it was, it was, it was crazy, man. So for that, for that grinder that's going to be joining us, brain that's the ankle, kind of, yeah. ankle bracers. Yeah. Well. No. <laughs> Stay out of that tent where them boys are putting their foot up the butt. You gotta worry about it. Well, I mean, you look at, you look at our whole group and you look at our, how dynamic we are. I mean, with everything that was going there, you know, Chad working within his ability level to get done as much yeah. as he could, you know. And I know dealing with his mental disabilities. Yeah, I mean, so yeah. just uh, think about it, you know. You have those shortcomings. <laughs> Joe, you know, before we move on, I know you've got a question from the Elk Bros mailbox that you I, wanted to talk about. I right? do, man. I do. Jackson Henry out, and this is perfect, man, because where we're leading into, I think this is a great thing to talk about. And I think there's a lot of people that have this question, and you would think that it's an easy answer, but it's not. Jackson Henry out of Indianapolis, Indiana, he said, hey, bros, want to thank all of you for what you do. Thanks to you, I'm planning my first elk hunt in Colorado, which is way cool, Jackson, man. That's that's awesome, dude. My question has to do with OTC versus the draw. What are the pros and cons of choosing to do one or the other? Would it really matter to a first-timer like myself? It's a great yeah. question. Man. Great question. Guy, why don't you lead us off into that? So... I'm saying OTC, first timer OTC. You got a neither sex tag, right? Um, you, you may see a little heavier crowds in those units, but if you can't pull the proverbial trigger on a, on a bull, you can always take a cow if you're just out for an elk. Um, and it's a great way, right? A first time elk hunt. There, there shouldn't be any pressure, uh, to go and have to decide on, you know, whether or not you're killing a bull or not. Um, and then with the standard in Colorado, right, is, is getting on a age class bull that's legal in those bull only or those draw units. So I would say go OTC all the way, brother. And it opens a lot of the area up for you. You get, you got a plan A, B and C. And if you're getting an area that's, you know, you feel is overcrowded or it's a little bit out of your wheelhouse in terms of terrain and whatnot, you just bounce to the next OTC area. So I was going to ask about that. Is it possible to put in for a draw? And if you don't draw, then just go OTC. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, put in, but but you want to put in for a unit that you know you're not going to get right, um, and let, you build a point on it, and then get yeah, your there OTC you go. tag. Yeah. Oh, I see. I, yeah. So, so yeah. 
you just went over something that might go over a lot of people's heads. Right. right. Now, now he already just introduced the point game. And right. there's a lot of people that right away, everybody tells them, well, you need to get a point. You need to gather a point. You need to do a point. Right. And that might be so for maybe one to three points. I don't yeah. encourage people to do this long-term point game. I, nope. I think it's, I think it's a journey to a bad place myself. Right. And it costs a lot because when we talk about the pros and cons of OTC versus a draw, when you go to put in for the draw, you have to buy a small game license. Right. Mm-hmm. When you go OTC, you don't. So you, you've saved a little bit. And for somebody that's coming from out of state that's never been to Colorado and you don't know the difference from one unit to the other and going to a state with the most elk of any place in the United States, you know, like Guy said, you know, you can, you actually have an advantage in that you can go to any OTC area. You got, you're in one, you don't like it. Shoot. We, me and Cole went all the way from, you know, mid Colorado, all the way over to East Colorado, man, you know, bumping around to different places because you yeah, know, we left, we left our first area. We thought we were going to hunt on opening day. We leave our area and move camp <laughs> into a total different area. Right. Not an easy two hours too. I mean, it was, you know, but these guys are efficient, man. We locked it down and, and hiked out and <laughs> went and, prospected another area that morning and man it was it was very evident what we needed to do so what what guy was saying though is that if you do want to garner a point because you can actually if now tell me if i'm wrong with this guy let's say that there's a unit um that has gone from over the counter to draw and a lot of times those are zero to one point Mm -hmm. draw right yeah from what i understand and tell me if i'm wrong I could put in for a draw unit that I know I wouldn't get, a very difficult one to draw that I wouldn't get, and then put one of those that takes zero to, or even one point, I could put in that for my second. And when I don't draw the first one, I get a point that applies to the second yep. choice. Yep. 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 It does. It, it, you, if you don't get your first choice, you get a point. So it's first choice, you lose points, you don't get your first, you get a point. So if and that I have second to... choice could need a point to get in. Exactly. Right. Well, uh, some I'm of saying. them are some of them are hundred percent on zero points. Oh wow. because they made the switch yeah. on the unit. But right. but again, like gotcha. I said, the problem is is now you're talking like where I hunted last year. Hundred percent draws, zero points, bull only. Bull only, gotcha. Bull only. So you bull. know what I mean? So as a new guy, you're setting yep. yourself up and, and you're yeah. You don't, in my opinion, if it's any elk, you don't want to have that conundrum in your fear. Right? You want to be One able to kill any elk, right? Yeah, and and, and coming from brother wants to kill an elk. Yeah, I, I agree, <laughs> you know, man. Yeah. What I will say though, from Indianapolis. Indiana, yeah, it's a yeah. hike. So, I mean, it's a, a jaunt. You know what I mean? Um, so Jackson, if you're listening to this. If you hit me up or hit Joe up and Joe can get a hold of me and we can connect and I can help you out, uh, be more than happy to talk to you a little bit about, uh, you know, where you're hunting and, and give you what I know about the areas. Yeah. Ooh, Jackson, 
You better reach out, my brother. You just got some golden goose information from the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Guy Duplanche. Better look out. Better hit him up. Well, I wanted to make sure that everybody caught that, though, as far as that point, because right. you're in a situation where you have an area, you already have one point, right, because you did that maybe last year. You put in for an area that you knew you weren't going to draw because you're going to go OTC. So you were actually able to put that in. You're pretty much buying a point because you're paying for a small game less license. So you are paying for that, right? Um, right. Then when you don't draw that, and then you can go OTC, you end up with that point. The following year, if there's an area that you're going to need to, it's 100% for two, well, you you can do the same process, man. You can put for the one that you're not going to draw and the one that will be 100% for the two. I hope that is something that's understood. I hope it makes sense. Does that make sense to everybody? Yeah, and Mr. Yeah, I mean, Henry, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm just going to say congrats on, on making the first and the harder step. You made a decision, sure. so – um, yeah, man. Kudos on sure. that and follow through and all the best, man. Yeah. It was our first time last year in Colorado and we went straight OTC. So. And, um, and one of the most crowded units in the state. No doubt. One of the most crowded units in the state. And we went, uh, we went three out of five on out. Yeah. It should have been, should have been five out of five. I was just going to say, if you weren't a first timer, that that wouldn't be something it'd be something that you'd have a bigger grasp on anyway but i can see where a lot of people going out there they think they have to put in for the draw and they don't man and they can have just a good opportunity at killing an elk right. at being in a draw unit so yeah guys you know what time it is it's time for our elk bros shout out if you're shout new to the show out. this is a shout out to a few cities with the most listeners topping our charts this week hey man i don't know what happened while we were in texas but people just like blew up man we've got to thank those folks with those incredible reviews on apple Podcasts. <laughs> they are keeping us and you don't see this very often when you go look at apple Podcasts. when you look at ratings versus reviews you know most of the time People get about 17 to 20% reviews to their ratings. We're still at that 50% mark. So wow. I, just, I just really want to thank everybody for taking the time. It shows that you care. It shows that, you know, that you feel what we do has value. So, and we're going to continue to thank you. Jim Coyle, man, Jim, the Wyoming elk hunter, he's been hunting 44 years and says he still picks up nuggets when he listens to us. Then we have Mr. Awesome. September. This guy says we are legit. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he says already rewatching episodes. Now, if you've gone through 155 episodes, yeah, kudos to that. Man, let me tell you. Die um, hard. <laughs> die hard. Yeah. Sopranos 19 loves, he says he loves that he learns about life when he listens to us and not just honey. And I'm not sure where he's learning that at, but. I don't know, but I love the Sopranos. <laughs> How you doing? How you doing? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Roman Rosella. Did I say that right? Yeah, Roman Rosella. Yeah. So Roman guys is, ha, has transplanted from California to Katy, Texas, and he says that he's a kindred spirit with the Houston. Look at boys. that! So, Katy, so, Texas representing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let me ask hopefully you didn't bring in politics with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sorry, you brother. keep that on the lowdown too, right, man? Right? <laughs> so let me ask you, Luis, does that qualify him for mafia status? Oh, man. Honestly, 
Look, if Manano can be a mafia member, anybody can be a mafia member, right? Um, but the problem is, so we're, we're, there's a big gap. It's like about being the Venezuelan mafia leader. That's, there's a difference there. Okay. So, right. I mean, yes, absolutely. If he wants to put in his application, more than welcome to do oh. so. <laughs> AK Vinny, West Coast Hunters and English Club. Vinny, man, is awesome. Um, Vinny was listening to one of our episodes where we mentioned Gary Loomis. And yeah, he, so do you remember that? Well, yeah, I do. Absolutely. Yeah. And he said that he knew Gary when he left. How do you say that? Is that Lama Glass? Lama Glass. Lama Glass. It's a blank maker for fishing rods. Yeah. He knew him when he left them and started building rods in his garage. So yes, sir. Yeah. That's yeah. So my buddy Trey Kistler and Mr. Loomis are in tight. Uh, there's actually a new, uh, a new company that Gary's in part of that Trey uses a lot of their blanks, uh, South Fork and, um, but Gary Loomis has been building rods for a long, long time. Some of the best rods that were ever made were Lama Glass rods. And our blanks, our Kistler bank blanks, when I was fishing uh, for uh, for a living, uh, they were all Lama Glass blanks when we first got started. And then we kind of evolved with Gary into some more IM7 type blanks and stuff like that. But Gary's so a great guy. fishing poles, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. fishing rods. And Gary's got a place – Trey killed his first bull up there in Gary's place there. Uh, it was a Rosie uh, that he killed up there at Gary's first place there. In, oh, I remember in Washington that photo. Washington or Oregon. Yeah. I remember that photo. It was in Oregon, right? Dude, yes, them, them G. Loomis IM7s were uh, those were sweet smokers, buddy. boy. They're expensive, but they're well worth it, man. I yeah, tell man. guys all the time when they're on my boat and they, they feel one of those rods, they're like, man, you could feel so much. I tell them, I said, mm-hmm. yeah, I can tell a Budweiser can from a Coors Light can, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron Bagwell, Fostoria, Michigan. Aaron says he loves our banner, man. And last but not least, Justin Foster from Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And he tells everybody, if you're not listening, you're missing out. Guys, got to thank all thank of y'all you. for incredible reviews and all taking of the time. Yeah, thank you. It means a lot to us. It really does. Okay. Oh, also, Grinders, remember, if you want to be part of our show, you can still send in a 15 to 20 second shout out video telling us who you are and something special about where you live. Just send it to my email, joe at elkrose.com. Guys, show your face and celebrate your place. Let's rock and roll, Chaz. All right. Uh, we'll start off with the great New England town. That's the motto of this Connecticut city located near the Quinnipiac River. Founded in 1667, this city was a site of the last witchcraft trial in New England in 1697. In 1878, a tornado hit the town, killing 34 people, the most in Connecticut history. It is known for its diverse commercial and industrial base, ranging from technology companies to heavy manufacturing companies. And this is in Wallingford, Connecticut. Wallingford, Connecticut, in the house. Wallingford, Connecticut, and that's way deep East Coast, man, for sure. I, I, I have nothing to relate it, you know. I, you know, when they talk about <laughs> Quinnipiac River, and you know, I just, I know it's New England, and no Connecticut, and Connecticut's only so and, big. I mean, and it's cold, for sure. <laughs> <Is> it really? 
Oh, man, dude, it gets cold up on that eastern seaboard. Look, brother. dude, I, y'all can say that, man, but I was just in Texas, and it was freaking <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <And> <laughs> a high of a high of 28. We picked that weekend especially for you, yo. <laughs> yeah, dude, right. it didn't look like he had a problem sleeping in the blind, though. He wasn't that cold. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> he just burned all the calories. Oh, God, man. <laughs> dude, dude, man, dude, let me tell you something. Under the Keeping bus. this cat in the daggum blinds like Cajun a lion, brother. I'm going to tell you what, he pacing back and forth and like, he hears something go, man, maybe we ought to go after that. You know? Talking about <laughs> wearing the shower curtain for clothing inside that blind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll tell you, it was it, man, dude, it was so fun. Uh, we got to really do what we love to do with Joe and that was so fun, man. Well, sure. look, awesome. I, I, my, I'd never thought of it this way. Until my daughter said it today, because when I explained how we had some bait out there and we were sitting and waiting and everything, she said, Dad, you weren't hunting. You were fishing. (laughs) (laughs) Much like it. Yeah. That's a dilemma though, man. That's in no offense, right? To our our brethren that, that sit stands and blinds, but that's one thing that I've always found hard right is not going and creating my opportunity mm-hmm. is why i just it, i couldn't do it either i'm making fun of joe but man i'd bug out in a blind yeah I, you, you gotta be here to understand the topography everything else it has its own challenges yeah. it does it has its own challenges and you once you got here and saw it you go oh now I know why y'all do that. Well, um, I've gone to Texas. I've, I've yeah. sat in a, in a pallet blind, and yeah. I yeah. tell you what, man, <laughs> it's like for it's, you. And 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 this this is some people can't you know yeah. they can't do it right. Yeah. I mean, it's just this this. Oh, I can absolutely see, but you know um, that dude right there, he came out of a pallet blind. That's yeah. that's a <laughs> that's a hill country buck right there. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. man. Look, it, there there are reasons for it, and. I love spotting and stalking. We have actually had a blast with Joe doing it and we had some success and, but the, those, those, uh, critters, they're highly underrated, uh, how smart they are. Oh, they're, and, and well, yeah. I mean, we're sitting are. in a blind and you guys are like, wait a second, there's one coming. Oh, he went away. He smelled us. I'm like, I didn't get to see anything, man. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> I think they're yanking my chest like, the whole time. Joe, like, Joe, Joe, don't move. Don't yeah. move. Joe, don't move. He can't hear me. God damn. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the hog is in another county. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, look, you're out there in daggum nine degree weather trying to stay warm in one of them little box freezers, man. It's like, yeah. I got to be moving, man. I got to be. It moving. was definitely brutal. Yeah, it was. It was Joe, definitely was a lot brutal. Of fun, man. Yeah. I had a blast. Joe, the to next top listening city was originally called Clintonville. It sits on both sides of the Fox River in Northeast Illinois. In 2017 and 2011, Money Magazine named it one of America's best places to live for economic opportunity, excellent schools, safe streets, things to do, and a sense of community. The city was named after a Scottish hymn. The city's motto is where tradition meets the future in South Elgin, Illinois. South Elgin, I, I, I man, could be Elgin or could be Elgin, but it's such a cool. Gonna, name. It, since they said it's Scottish, I'll say Elgin. 
And you know, Chicago is one of our biggest listening cities. So I, I'm yeah. not sure if it's close to it or not, but man, all y'all in Illinois, thank you for listening, man. Absolutely. The tradition meets the future. The next up, this Colorado <laughs> city was named after a judge in 1881 who presided over the miners court in neighboring Breckenridge. The city was a makeshift camp for workers making the Dillon Reservoir surrounded by the Buffalo and Red Mountains. It is the perfect setting for ice fishing, hiking, rock climbing, snowshoeing, cross-country skiing, and snowmobiling. Sound like they should have had the Winter Olympics there, y'all. It Uh is situated between the Gorge Range and the Continental Divide to the east, and that's Silverthorne, Colorado. Silverthorne. It's beautiful over there. We were over that way yesterday. Really? It's amazing. Yeah, it's about 75 miles east of us. Okay. You guys are I Actually, I should have read the Colorado one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm up. This historical northeastern town is named after a nearby stream is located in southeastern Pennsylvania. It was established in the 1770s. It is home to the mill at Anselma, the Lightfoot Mill a National Historic Landmark grain mill built in 1747 and considered the best-preserved example of a grain mill of its kind. It has has an original wooden gear system and millstones and is fully functional today and continues to mill flour and cornmeal for sale. It's located in Chester Springs, Pennsylvania. Mm. That's pretty cool. Mm. That's awesome. Pennsylvania in the house. I know Gil knows about that cornmeal down there catching Absolutely, fish, brother. <laughs> we fry them fish up in it all the time, boy. <laughs> the, the thing that amazes me about that is, man, they have this cornmeal from 1747 that has original wooden gear system that's been working from 1747. Yeah. Dude, I can't get my car to last like, you know, Three years without breaking down, man. Well, I mean, the way you treat him, I'm surprised it lasts for that long. It's American-made, buddy. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the wooden gear system was American-made. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Built to last. Built to last. Gilbert, take that last one for us, man. Absolutely. Oh, wait, wait, Luis, you haven't done anything. I did. <laughs> For the last 100 and some episodes. Come on, bro. (laughs) This top listening city was named after Pierre Paquette, an early fur trader and settler of south central Wisconsin who settled in the area in the early 1800s. The application for a post office was misread. And uh, so the town's name was a misspelled version of his name. Uh, nature lovers destination. The town view is the McKenzie Center, a 500 acre property featuring nature, nature trails, wildlife exhibits, museums, picnic areas, and more. It's located east of the Wisconsin River and Lake Wisconsin. Poinette, Wisconsin. Yeah, another Wisconsin in the house. Do you know how many people received their names in the United States because somebody that brought them into the country didn't know how to read? That was written. That happened. That happened in a lot of countries where people migrated uh, massively from world wars. In Venezuela, there's a lot of that too. Yeah, you end up with a name that 
that was not the original name. Right. It was just pronounced in the way the person that heard it wrote it down. I'm still trying to figure out how some of those people ended up with the last name like Butthead and, you know. Or, or Jiglia. Thank you to all of our listeners, man. We're going to hit our, our main topic for tonight. Um, and this is the question everybody wants to know. Best day scenarios to hunt elk in 2022. And what we're going to do, y'all, is we're going to talk about best seven days. But in doing that, we're also going to talk about a gap of time. And we're going to use Colorado and New Mexico as samples for developing thoughts and strategies. But you're going to be able to see how this will apply to whatever state you're in. And also, we're going to talk about it in breaking it down as well um, to like an overall majority thought of, you know, what we think just the general best dates are and then break it down to first or third year beginners or third to five year hunter with average skills and some harvest to five and 10 year hunters that have experience in a solid skill set because there is a difference, man. There is a difference. And we're going to talk about some of those reasons and why we would do that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start this out with, um, an overall calendar before I even go to any of these other states. So I'm going to share, I'm sorry. Let our listeners know that they got a link that they can go to and see it on our webpage. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they can go to YouTube or they, yes, you can go to our webpage and look at the top, go to elkrose.com, look at the top and you'll see um, best I think it's best season calendars or something. Oh, like that. Best, best days calendars. calendars. Simple, best simple days calendars. Okay. I was going to say the simple link is elkbros.com slash calendars. There you yep. go. Or they can just go to elkbros.com and they'll be able to get the link right there. So does everybody see this? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. So what we want to do is this is just looking at this calendar. And whenever somebody sees this calendar, we've actually broken it up in a way so that you can tell what the key elements are. So, Except, and, and the other thing we're doing is we're not just talking September, y'all. We're going to talk September all the way through to December because we have people that go from archery to muzzleloader, muzzleloader to rifle, um, and at different times of the year. So we want to talk about those and we're going to start off with September. And when we look at that, when we take a look at September, what are some of the things that you guys notice right away that are going to impact moon decisions? Full moon. A lot of full moons in that first, moon. the first hunt. When you say first hunt, you're talking about New Mexico, Chad, which we're going to get to. Right. Uh, you know, for the first half of the month, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Correct. So, you know, when you take a look at most states are going to start either on the first or they're going to, Colorado starts on the 2nd of September for their hunt, right? And Colorado goes through to the 30th. Now in New Mexico, we end up with our, our hunts that are split in two. But when you take a look at this, if we were just to, to look at these days, there's things that you have to take into account. Number one, you have to take in the Labor Day weekend. Why is that something important to take in? Yeah, a lot of people are off, so they have an extra day. But that's yeah. uh and that's it's in the not, weekend. And it's not only hunters, it's it's everybody. I mean it's your ATVs and everything. Absolutely, yeah. man. Campers. People are yeah. recreating, right? Yeah. So right. 
this is their chance to get out and have those family outings, fishing outings, camping. I mean, think about it. When we were in Colorado, what it looked like on that, mm-hmm. on that opening weekend, it was crazy, right? Yeah, so you yeah. have, you have to take in consideration that opening weekend. So if you look at, if you look at the beginning of the month, there's going to be a lot of people that would really shy from that. Yeah, I wouldn't. Me neither. <laughs> Me neither. I've hunted many times in that scenario right there. I, mean, I, I, I think I think it would be a consideration of of where I'm putting myself on the landscape. Right, it would be a big deal. But I like that early part of the month because the animals haven't been conditioned fresh. and tainted. Right, they're fresh. They're yeah. for the last two years we had more talking bulls in that first three four days yes, than sir. the rest. Of the month. The Absolutely. Month. But see, that's where I wanted to kind of put this and where we break it up though. I mean, when you have that first to third year beginner with a limited skill set for guys that have trouble finding elk number one. And I don't know if you notice in what you're talking about is exactly right. A lot of times on the first through about the fourth, you got bulls that are talking, right? And then what happens? They shut up. It's silence. <laughs> yeah, it gets real quiet, right? Depends on the weather, too. So you can get a, pop, a cow pop in heat somewhere, you know. Right. Depends on the weather, too, right? Temperature. Sometimes. Uh, I, I think Sometimes. it all has I, – I really believe it all has to do with, you know, sure. some of those cows coming in estrus early. No doubt. No you doubt. Know, not only that, you've had bulls that are trying out their voice. They're at their, it's all happening at the, in August and the end of August and they're screaming back and forth. Nobody's hunting them. Nobody's educating them. They're, they're, they're just having a good old time. So it doesn't bother them to continue that until all of a sudden they start the getting pressure people. feels it. Yeah. Yeah. They start calling in people and I think that changes things. So, you know, everybody has heard us talk about how much we like to hunt the early part of September, but we're experienced, mm-hmm. right? Um, and yeah. for the fact that... And I've hunted both. Right. You have. Yep. Hunted both. Oh, yeah. What would you and, say is the biggest difference from the early to the first part of the year to the second part of the year, RC? I think you have to work harder at the, at the beginning of it as, uh, you know, you've got to use all your skill set that you've learned in the past and just uh, like you said, you know, that the second hunt or later on, you second know, they're half all, of the month, right? Yeah. They're, they're talking and it's easier to locate them and all this, but uh, I'm like you guys. I, I love that first hunt. Mm-hmm. Right now. So let's, let's really talk about that though. Um, and the way I want to explain this, I'm going to look at the month. I want everybody to look along with me. And, and I know where Chav's head is too. Cause if I would, Chav, if I was to ask you what day should we start a hunt on, I guarantee you I could put money on which day it would be. What, which day would you say? Oh, uh, looking at that September calendar, I'd yeah, say the fir- first, <laughs> the first, <laughs> the first, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Cause, uh, you know, the, they're, they're, you could actually pattern them. And if they're not, uh, leery of, of people, you can actually bump into them. You know, a beginner could bump into them. But if you're a, a hunter that's hunting for me and you're not worried about a giant trophy bull, you know, you can, and you have some skill, you, you can uh, score that first week, regardless of the amount of people there. 
and and the actually man that first part of the season is probably one of the best times to get a big bull because it's really hard to call a herd bull off as cows once they've cowed up oh, in that yeah. second half of the season. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. But but as an overall thought, now you gotta remember y'all, y'all listening to us. We've been I've been hunting these critters, it's gonna be my fortieth season. You know, Gil's got you know, he's been hunting with me since he was 50, he's 50 uh, since he was 40, right? And he's 52 now. So, uh, 13 years, yeah. Yeah. Chav's got 14 years under RC's got 112 years under his belt, right? So <laughs> these guys have a whole different, whole different look at this. So when, when you look at this, I want to break it down in that, yes, from that first till the fourth, you have a good chance of those animals and it, especially first and second, even the third, you got a good chance that those animals are dumb and dumber at that time. They're not call shy because they haven't really, you know, some people go out and educate them, but really they haven't been bumped around, chased, harassed. So, and you end up with an early estrus sometimes when those bulls, and it's happened for me and Chab. I mean, lots of times where we've had bulls screaming on that early part. Like Guy said, he pulled into camp and those bulls were screaming like crazy, right? Yeah. Uh, early on in the beginning of the season. Now what happens though, Labor Day weekend when, and, and everybody's going to really, some people roll in Friday night, but a lot of people are going to roll in Saturday morning. There's going to be a lot of traffic. There's not going to be still a whole lot of people in the woods, but by that afternoon and the next morning, there's people saturating the woods. Okay. If they can get off on Friday, then they're cranking on Saturday. It just depends on their situation. But a lot of Labor Day weekend warriors are going to get off work and they're either going to go that night and set up in the dark or they're going to get there the next morning. Okay. So the, the Labor Day weekend is tough. Can it be done? Absolutely. Yep. Um, does that mean that they're going to scare animals, uh, you know, all over the place? Mm, I don't know. It just depends on the area. And I really don't think that animals go that far. I think they either go up in elevation, down in elevation, or find a hole. That's just my view. I don't know, Guy, what you think on that. I, You know, I, I would agree with you, Joe. Uh, I, I think that earlier season two, right, is is – the younger bulls are more susceptible, right? Cause they're going to be gathering and whatnot. Absolutely. And if you can, if you can put yourself in the elk, right? If your e-scouting game was up to par and you put yourself in elk, man, you know, calf sounds, cow sounds, that stuff is going to, that stuff is going to reel them boys in. They'll, they'll be looking to gather those, those cows up because they know they're going to lose them soon. <laughs> and I, and what you're going to find is, is, and it, and it's been pretty much a regular thing for us is that things will go silent for a couple of days, man. Um, after, I mean, it's like they're cranking and then all of a sudden, you know, it just goes quiet. Now it could be, you're just not in the right place. Um, mm-hmm. I attribute a lot of times people not hearing elk as not being where they can hear elk. So, sure. uh, I've bumped into people that said they're not hearing a thing when I've just got done with a bugle fest. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's, that could be dependent, but I have seen it start to go silent on that fifth and six and then Right about that seventh, eighth, and ninth, things start to pick up a little bit more. By that tenth, I'm really starting to hear things starting to happen. Are you guys following uh, in agreement about that? Or absolutely, yes. Sir. Mm-hmm. Uh, I killed a bull two years ago on the 11th of September. Um, it was pretty much on my birthday, 
and uh we had we had bulls early in that hunt you and i had bulls uh that we were early hearing and calling in and stuff like that and then for three or four days it went absolutely silent and then we popped over one ridge on a on a cold day and we popped over that ridge and it was like on like donkey cone there were bulls everywhere bugling, yep. right but if we had not have went over one more ridge we'd never do it yep and now but we couldn't hear them at the top yeah, exactly. And we just had to get over just a little bit just to be able to hear them. And that was just a ridge away, right? So that's something for people to remember, man, that you can just be one ridge away from things happening. Um, that's why I always yeah. tell people too, if you're going to do things, make sure you're kind of ridge running, get up on top of those ridges where you can start to hear things off of two sides, because sometimes we'll stay lazy down in on the side or down in the bottom. And man, you just can't hear what's going over on the other side of that that ridge over there now from when things start to heat up like we said around the 10th i'm telling you from the 10th through the 15th things are just increasing in that time in fact i think from the 10th through that 15th is a really good solid time a lot of transition from that bro mode to getting those cows and heading into that rut mode, man. And I still think at that point in time, some of those variables are shadowing. When's the equinox? So you see the red moon on here? That's oh. the equinox right yeah, there. Is that so it? when you see the gotcha. red, that's the equinox. Now, if a cow was to come in heat, if it was to come in heat on the equinox, and guys, just because that's the equinox does not signal that every cow comes in heat. Not at the same time, right? Uh, you've already heard me say that one could have come in on the first. Now, here's something sure. I want you to think about is they generally, if they are not bred after their estrus cycle, they will come in heat again about another 21 days. So if you look at this and you can see that, well, he said there was one in estrus on the first and they get bred. Well, what date does that look like? Well, there's that equinox. Yeah, and generally yeah, those cows that are going to come in for the first time around that, would be seven days before, seven days after. It's kind of like a, a window that happens there. So if you count that back, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, you're looking at the 15th as being really when things start to come about. Does that mean that they couldn't come in early on the 12th, 13th? No, it doesn't, man. It's, uh, it all has a lot to do with their age class and different other factors that are happening there. They say, it's the sunlight that triggers it, right? It's the amount of daylight that's triggering that that comes in their eye. But that's not – it's not where it's like everything's a robot and they're going into estrus. It doesn't work that way, you know. Um, so that – uh, can, uh, can the weather have anything to do with it? Yeah. I've had people say yes or no, but I don't think it's the weather at the time, R.C., I think it's their gauge. I think they are have a better farmer's almanac than we do and can tell if it's going to be a bad winter or a good winter. And I think that has more effect on when they – to me. And I'm no biologist. I'm I think it scientist. affects their movement. I think it affects their movement to and from bedding areas, to and from feeding areas, stuff like that. We get dumped on six inches of snow like we did. It really affects them, right? So uh, they get on the move. If it's super hot, they're going to water earlier, you know, those those kinds of things. I think that what RC's talking about is 
I think that affects their movement as well. Not necessarily whether they're easier to hunt or harder to hunt, but I think in those situations, extreme weather helps and can hurt you too, but it, it sure can teach you what to set up on or what not to set up on. Well, the thing that I was wondering though about RC was, was the question, does the weather affect when they come into asterisks? So that, that's what I was oh, I got you right there, right? Now, it, it can affect cows and it can affect bulls. Bulls are just going to be more lethargic in hot weather. They're going to be more frisky in cooler weather. You know, it's, that's why bulls will scream more at night in a full moon than they will during the, you know, uh, a, a day when it's hot, man. They, they're just not going to be out there in that kind of heat. It makes them lethargic, man. So when you look at that, when you see that red right there, and then you look in October, that purple, and then that next purple in November. What that's saying basically is if a, if a cow came in heat and wasn't bred on the 22nd, those are about the times that the next estrus would come in for that animal, right? Gotcha. So it kind of shows you that it can happen in October. You could actually have an animal come in estrus if it's not bred, if the bulls aren't efficient, can come in estrus again in November, okay? Um, shoot, I, I've heard bulls screaming in December. Now, I don't. I don't think it had anything to do with estrus. I think it just had to do with young guys doing their voices, but you can hear it all the way in there. But if you look at this then, and you'll see that I have a red, you know, I have a red line there. I have, I have selected, personally selected that block as one of the most solid blocks for hunting elk this year because you got the equinox on the 22nd. You've got the 15th in which I think animals are really starting to work up and you've got a dark moon here that's going to help uh, a lot of that activity during the day in the morning and in the evening a little bit longer in that. Now, does that mean that I won't, that we won't hunt them in the full moon? No. I was going to say, I guess when we're going to be hunting, we're going to be hunting outside of that red ball. Yes. Yes. We are. We do just about every year. I hunt all the way through that damn calendar. (laughs) Yeah, Not everybody's as blessed as you are, brother. But at the end of the day, man, I've spent a long time hunting outside of that red box. But I I say that I've hunted private land in the red box. And, you know, and then look, I'm telling you, that last week of September and that first week of October is absolutely electric, man. Those bulls are absolutely going bonkers. So that's one of the reasons that I wanted to break this down is into different type of groups because guys, we're the five to 10 year guys. Shoot, we're way over that that has a solid <laughs> skill set and we have multiple harvests, right? So we mm-hmm. have a confident type deal or we might have our own best days. We might have our own strategies. And if that works for those guys, man, they got to stick with that. But when you look at that first to third year beginner with the limited skill set, I'm telling them to go as late as heck as they can in that season. You know, okay, I'm I'm the greenest guy on here in terms of being in the elk woods, right? Uh-huh. I mean, with without a shadow of a doubt. Right. I would I would agree with you, but I disagree with you because okay. I think there's a point to be made about getting through the base camp and oh. increasing your skill set and uh-huh. not limiting yourself as a be. Well, what is a beginner, right? I want to go hunt elk. This is I got a. Seven day window to do it, right? That's what we're talking about here. There's no reason that a guy should be going into, well, 
Okay, I'm sorry if I fed us. There's no reason a guy should be going in the woods with a, with a limited skill set, right? That's right. It's camping. You can go adventures and get you got a year to go through the modules, right, and build that, right, and get those get those different scenarios down and understand what you're going into. If you got to take notes, put the notes on your phone. If you got to read through that stuff and change your skills as you go. That's the way to go hunt elk for the first to third year guy, right? You go in there and you're going to go ridge top bugling. Sorry. Yeah, probably not doing so well. Hey, bro, you're, 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 you know what I mean? You need to, you're going to be back next year and you're going to grind a little bit harder through the basement. <laughs> right. Well, I agree with you, Joe, to a point, right? But, yeah. but going out with a limited skill set is, is like going out with a half cock bow that you can't shoot past 20 yards. Yeah. Right. One you can't draw. Yeah. And, and I would say, you know, I think the one of the reasons that I tell them that is, is number one, we know that half the battle of killing elk is finding an elk, right? Oh, man. And yeah. by, and the best time generally, because this can backfire on you as well, but the best time is generally later in the season that you're <sighs> going to be able to hear those bulls screaming. And it's kind of like what you said, you know, for a lot of people, for them to hear a bull makes them feel successful. For them to actually get up and be able to see one makes them feel successful and they get to build on that. Now, I don't, my definition of success, Luis's, RC's, and Manano's, we might all have different definitions of success. I'm real hard on myself. I expect to go out there and get on and kill an animal. That's just how I feel about it, right? But to me, the, the best time for me to do that is early season. The best time for me to hear an animal and see an animal is going to be late season because there's going to be just more vocal around with everything that's going on. Does that mean I'm going to be able to, you're going to have a lot of this happening. You're going to have a lot of guys saying, man, that bull sounded like he was so, he was like bugling back at me. He was aggressive. And then he ran away. Right. (laughs) You're going to hear so much of that in that late season. Because it's going to be yeah, bulls. because he had all his cows rounded up and took off. They're cowed up. He's yeah. standing back. He's throwing out those, you know, those roundup bugles, letting his cows know where where he's at. He's advertising. A lot of people read that as a bull responding to them while the cows are still moving up the mountain. Next thing you know, he turns and go whoop, and he takes off to go get yeah. with them. And, and then you'd have been better off shutting up, trying to get in his bubble. That's right. You know, well, man, you've been better off just hauling, getting parallel and trying to move up on that hooker, yeah. right? Yeah. So I, I think that's why when I say first or third year, like when I take a look at a third to five year with average skills and has some harvest, I would tell those guys myself, if we're not able to do this in New Mexico, man, we're, we're not like – we have these two hunts going on, right? We have the hunt um, where we're going to have somebody win a hunt with us. Well, we're going to put them in camp with us on that first hunt where they're with our skill set, where they have us to work with them. But in working with guys that I want to have an experience to be able to be vocal with elk and maybe to hear that and still have us to talk to them about what those animals are doing and what they're saying, I want those guys on that latter end when those bulls are talking as much as possible. So they have that experience and get to work that skill set. So when, when I look at that three to five year person with those average skills, man, the 15th through the 24th. Solid. Is a solid hunt. Now, Mm -hmm. is that when we're going to hunt it? It doesn't work for us, man. 
it doesn't work for us in a, in a bunch of ways. It doesn't work for us to be able to put on two hunts, number one, because right. we're splitting the daggum month in half, right? Yeah. So that doesn't work for us. But that 15th to that 24th, I think is prime time because you have bulls in transition. You've got, you know, big herd bulls are starting to go in, try to take that over, which means you got buzz and satellite bulls happening out there that are worked up. Some of those guys are getting their butt kicked that are going to be looking for lower hanging fruit, you know, just like happens, I think on that 10th through the 15th, I think the same thing happens then. That's just how I feel about that time. I really like that time from the 10th to the 15th. So you look at the 10th to the 15th, the 15th to the 24th, and those are kind of the best pockets in there. I feel for somebody that wants to have that activity and have the ability to find bulls that aren't cowed up necessarily yet and that are really hungry and active. Joe, my first bull I ever killed was with you. It was September 22nd, mm-hmm. and those animals were absolutely going berserk. It was one of the coolest hunts I've ever been on, but we were on those bulls three or four days in a row and couldn't make it happen because they were so preoccupied at herding cows up and fighting and everything else. It was an absolute grind, right? Uh, I had found it is much easier to get in on bulls like that early in the season because right. you don't have all of that other nonsense. I say nonsense, all of that other extracurricular activity going on that's got their minds way preoccupied. Chab, what what do you think for you are the best pockets? If if you could uh, like I know that you're going to hunt, want to hunt animals on the first or second, right? Mm-hmm. Because uh, for the reason that you said, if if you didn't have the first or the second looking at that what would be your best next group of days, 5 to 7 days? Grinders tuning in, thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. Our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see, you can get all of this information plus so much more from our Base Camp Elk Hunting Training Camp the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. Our base camp training camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels. This course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success-based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets. Our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control, those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you, backwards through each step and level, allowing you to see visualize, understand, and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead, the next step, the next thought process, the next success. Because, y'all, you've already been there. You know what it looks like. By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And Base Camp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet so if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year 
Invest in the most important piece of equipment there is, you and your elk hunting knowledge. You can find the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and the Base Camp Training Camp at elkbros.com. That's E-L-K-B-R-O-S dot com. Keep dreaming of the screaming, believing in achieving, and most of all, keep grinding. I think the, the, the days following the weekend, because there, there tends to be a slowdown. In, in it. Like I said, all, all the weekend hunters take off. And it uh, seems like things quiet up a bit. And the elk that have quieted down start being vocal again. I know uh, during that time period, uh, uh, one, of our, one of our buddies that we hunted with early in the year uh, was just walking around, and, and he came upon elk that were, that were fighting to get their position in, in uh in a herd, so to speak. Uh, and he saw a lot of elk that time. Uh, I don't know if you remember Mr. Hederman <laughs> oh, yeah. telling us about his, about his tails. You know, he, he got up to, up and personal with a lot of elk and, uh, you know, he, he didn't have a whole lot of experience, but the, the fact that, uh, all that, that crowd came in on the weekend, that crowd left and things really quieted down. You know, the serious hunters, you know, stayed. And I think that's when, uh, that's that's a great opportunity there, but you know I would like to hunt during the peak rut at some time or another just to hear all the bugles and there you go yeah you know I know one time we drove up uh, I think it was the second week before it was split up in our early in the in our early days yeah right and we had a a, a black Nissan truck four by four that we called Blackie and you just opened the door and it creaked. And a, and a, and a bull responded. <laughs> you know? And that was like, okay. Boy, he was on like Donkey Kong. Okay. Yeah. You know, that was prime time there. So, uh, you know, I would like to hunt the rut sometime. Yeah. <laughs> but, but again, uh, when they're less, uh, least leery of people, I think that's a, that's a great time still. You know, I still have to say that the first couple of weeks. So guy, you yeah. were there in Colorado yeah. for, 28 days? Three, 23, 23 last year. Yeah. So looking at your days, how did the tide ebb and flow? Like we talked about, right? Is that, is that early, that early portion of the month, you know, that first, I don't know, five to call it six, seven days. Mm-hmm. Um, those young bulls were gathering cows and, you know, they thought they were the man. Um, the, after that, now, now Colorado, we haven't got to the Colorado calendars, right? And you'll, right. the folks will notice that as we get down there, right? You, you introduce you me. I'll, I'll pull that up now. Let's pull up Colorado right away. I'm going to stop this and let me go ahead and pull up Colorado because, because of how well, early on guy, you were calling for others too, weren't you? Yeah. The first, uh, six or yeah. seven days I was calling for Brandon. Yeah. Um, you know, we, and you could have killed, you could have killed a bull then. A couple of you were them, calling, right? Yeah. yeah. There was for a couple, sure. you know, yeah. you dedicate yourself to that and it's hard to. Right. So you said the first six or seven days was when you were calling for Brandon, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they were now, just. You talking, showed up on talking. the first, first or second. We got there. We got there the day before opener and, and we're able to hunt opener. And then we just kept plugging away. But you said on one of those days when you came in, bulls were screaming and then bulls shut up. Yeah. Yep. And that was probably, I'm going to say that was like seventh 
seventh to the ninth or tenth, it got really, really quiet. Like, man, what's going on? Um, temperatures heated up. The barometric pressure was like 31 and some change. Um, got hot. 30, yeah. I think it was like 31.28, right? So, um, bulls got really, really quiet. And that was one of the things that we paid attention to that whole time was that, was that barometric pressure. Um, and watching that effect, I was just curious about it. And it, and it really did seem to have an effect as that got above, I think that, I can't remember. I think our, our money spot was like 30 to like 30.28, 30.30 was money for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then introduced the muzzleloader season, right? And, and as soon as Muzzy kicks off the UTVs, the truck traffic, um, it is just a different style of hunting. Silent. Yeah, it's dead silent. Either you're, you know, you're learning real quick where the muzzleloader guys are at and you're pushing away, um, because they're, they're way more mobile than, than the archery guys. Um, they're looking for that open ground. So if you can get away from those guys, then you're doing good. Um, the bulls never really stopped talking. Uh, so call it, call it three to four days of, of silence and. Right. And then the bulls started talking. Well, then they became vampire bulls, right? You hear them all night long, just talking, 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 talking. And then, you know, get out at, you know, 3 a.m. and you're, you're running towards bugles, but you were always chasing because they were always on the move. It was point A to point B. They would call all the way just about the point B and then they, they would silent. Uh, and, and for us, we were hunting, uh, probably a little too close to private in, in some instances. Um, and once they got on that private, it was almost impossible to get them off. Mm-hmm. And then through that muzzy season, um, you know, they didn't really, they didn't really drop off. They were just harder to call in. Um, and then I saw pickup probably around, probably around the sixth, sixth day of muzzleloader season. It picked up again. They weren't as vocal, but movement. So I want uh, you to look at what that over. date is that you're talking about. The 15th. Yeah, 15th. Yeah. 15th, 16th. They just got yep. to move them like crazy, man. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think Seven that is before a, the yeah. yeah. It's a key transition point. Now it, here's an important key. When we, when we look at this though, is that last year the muzzleloaders actually had the dark stage. You know, they, they had what a lot of people would consider to be the best part. And the full moon was in the last part of the hunt. So you had bulls that were bugling all night long in the full moon phase there last year at the end of the hunt. So if people were getting up late and, and hunting those, you know, those mornings, those late mornings or early evenings, they were actually out there in the worst part of the time. You know, when, when you have a moonlit night, and animals are being active at night, your best time is going to be midday, you know, uh, in there or catching them right at daylight. I mean, you got to be on them right at daylight before they head in or in their transition areas where they're going from feed to bed. You got to be able to get on those boogers where, you know, when they're transitioning to a destination, like what you were talking about, guy, you were hearing those bulls and they were going right. Mm-hmm. They were going someplace. They knew exactly where they were going. So, you know, in Colorado, for me, if I was to look at it in Colorado and, okay, if I'm a weekend warrior, then I have really two weekends to hunt uh, because I'm not going to, myself, I shy away from muzzleloader. I just wish that wasn't in there. But that Labor Day weekend, because it's long, and then that weekend of the 
the 24th and 25th right inside there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you basically have those choices. If you're a weekend warrior, right, that's going to be kind of your choice. And let you go home and not, you know, and keep everybody happy for, you know, a couple weekends as well there. So, I mean, for the guys that have, you know, those, those, you know, a couple weeks or if they could break up their hunt, you know, the second through call it muzzy opener mm-hmm. and then maybe peel in that, that 20th, 21st and hunt through, you know, that, that final, uh, that final week in archery, man, would be prime. Cause it takes about, I noticed it takes about three days, uh, for everything to settle down after that muzzleloader hunt. When does the muzzleloader season open? It's right there. I've got it right here. On the 10th? 10th this the year, 10th. yeah. All that green that you see right there, that is. Man, they put it right in the middle. Of the yeah. Storm. Yeah, right in yeah, the Yeah, they middle. put it, it goes right in the middle, man. I don't understand that. Wow. Man. Yeah. Well, there, that's a whole other conversation, man. It's a whole oh, other rabbit. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, um, <clears throat> not just once, but multiple times people have died because of that. And I, I think it's a horrible thing. I you mean, know what's interesting in, too. I'm sorry, Joe. I didn't mean to cut you off. Is no, that no, you're you know, when you're looking at the units, right? We're we're talking about a muzzleloader elk hunt here, though, right? But there's a, a plenty of OTC units where they got a muzzleloader bear hunt that's uh, running with archery as well. Right. So it's not just it's not just your elk hunters that are out there. It's the, the boys chasing them Bruins as well. So mm. that's something to yeah. consider and, and looking at those dates if uh, being around the muzzleloader is a concern. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely want to wear orange. Yeah. That, like Joe said, that's another rabbit hole, buddy. That's, that's a rabbit hole as well. For me, yeah. if I'm doing it, I mean, not trying to be as safe as I can, but another reason why I'd hunt the first day to the, to the tent and hopefully I get it done, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, take a look now at the New Mexico. I haven't gotten into the rifle yet, which we're going to do here in a minute, but I just want to make sure we cover all this with <laughs> New Mexico because it's kind of the same arguments that we're talking about. No matter what state you're in, these are some of the same things. Labor Day weekend is going to be when it is. The equinox is going to be when it is. The full moon is going to be when it is. Are you worried about the full moon? We don't worry about the full moon. Um, I, I think the full moon is the best time to get on animals, to night bugle them, to hear them out at night, and to be able to use that. And just because it's full doesn't always mean that it's full all night long as well. And it also depends on the weather. Last year at the first part of our season, um, we ended up with a lot of real cloudy, rainy weather. So that kind of changes things and how it's going to go, right? Yep. Joe, what's with the pink moon? So what what that is is the, that is actually the first hunt in New Mexico. So from the first to the fourteenth is what that signifies. Got it. Okay. okay. And then the second half of the hunt is from the fifteenth to the twenty fourth. You get more days on the first part of the hunt. You get less days in what is generally considered to be the best yeah. time. This is usually the higher yeah, prime. Mm-hmm. Now. I don't know if people are listening to us or what, but last year that wasn't the case. And I actually think last year it wasn't the case because I think so many people had a chance to study, you know, the draw, how many people were putting in, uh, how many tags were available, how many tags were given. And I think a lot of people saw that if they wanted to elk hunt, they needed to put in for the first season. I don't think it had anything to do with us. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to think people are listening to us, but I don't think it had anything to do. I think it really had to do with people trying to draw tags. And there were so many people that put in last year. This is what we're looking at here in New Mexico. And again, you know, if we start 
talking about New Mexico and what some of our ideas are with this. It doesn't change much. It's, it's the same thing. We still like the beginning of the season. You know, where I differed from Chab in the past, Chab was like, man, I want to hunt right here. And a lot of times I wasn't starting to hunt until after Labor Day. The reason I wasn't doing that was I was, or the reason I did that was trying to miss that commotion and then catch the, maybe that lull, but start to catch the pickup as it went into the 15th, right? Mm-hmm. So we've had success with that. That's how we did that last year, right? You know, yep. we kind of went in and hunted some. And then by the time the boys got, not last year, but the year before, year before. Mexico, right? Yeah. You and I had a blast in that first, first part, you know, it was just kind of me and you. Uh, when we got there and man had an absolute blast, shot some great footage and had some bulls playing around with us and had opportunities. We just kind of, <laughs> we were so busy filming and having a good time that, uh, I mean, it was, it was what we wanted to do. Make sure we were in there for when the crew comes in, we were going to knock them in the head and then good night nurse on the 6th of September. It, uh, it poured snow all over us, man. Which, which actually proves to Chav's point though, what you're saying, Gilbert. I mean, you and I went out early. Oh yeah. And we were in elk all, all over the place. Every day. Yeah. I mean, we walk out of camp. Okay. Literally walk out of camp. I don't know, maybe half a mile, get to a little part where we like to listen to Joe makes one bugle and it was like, I'm like, oh my gosh. And that was go, Labor Day man. weekend. That was Labor Day weekend. Was the first of September. Yeah. So you're, you know, you're proving to Chav's point. Another reason, you know, uh, I kind of listened to my brother and I've kind of taken, you know, I'm kind of a stubborn sort, which Luis can (laughs) confirm, you know, on that. Uh, but you know, I tried to hit things in a certain time that I had started to notice and Chav's like, man, I just want to go on the first. Right. Uh, he's like, let's go kill them dumb ones, man, right away. You know, so, <laughs> which there's a lot to be said for that. Plus, dude, that bull that you and I called in on the Labor Day weekend was no small he dumb bull. Do. That was a seven no, a by big seven, seven bull. Big man. seven by seven. Yeah. yeah. He so, wasn't no dummy. No, he wasn't, man. So I he's mean, lucky though. I can tell you that he, he's got a middle name named Lucky. I can tell him straight up like that. Well, his, years, his years of service have served him well because he was uh, almost duped. But, R.C., looking at New Mexico, if you're somebody that wants to go and you want to hear bulls bugling because that's the thing that you want to have happen, what, when are you going to go? What seven days? Like you say, you know uh... – if you want to hear bu- lots of bugles and have lots of different kinds of encounters, I think the last hunt's the best one to go on because there's a lot of things that point in that direction. So now, not saying it's the easiest hunt. He's just saying there, it's got boom. a lot more activity. Boom! Exactly. It's just you know you. I mean, if that's what you're looking for, if you're looking for. Uh, the sound, the encounters, and that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, second hunt. But, I yeah. mean, I love the first one because it's like, 
Oh, dummy's going to come stumbling in. <laughs> we like them goober bulls. But you had better have, you had like better have a skill set to do it, man. No and, doubt. No and, doubt. It, all I want to tell you, man. So, Joe, would you say that you need a higher skill set to go earlier than you absolutely. would later? Yeah. Absolutely. Most definitely. Yeah. Most yeah. definitely. Because you're going to deal with some bulls. Look, you've been with me, man, oh, where yeah. we can see bulls in the middle of a park. <laughs> We got four bulls standing there in the middle of a park and we're yeah. doing all of this, you know, stuff to, that should rock in their boat, right? We're, yeah. we're elk callers, man. We're the elk bros, right? And they're just like, they look at us and go back to eating. They could care less. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so Till you figure out something that trips their trigger, which could be just totally right. obscure, man. Uh, it's, you're right. hundred percent. So I agree with you. 100% need a, probably a better than average skill set to go on that first. If you can kill silent bulls, you can kill any bull. 100%. That's, that's all, you know, I, and, and it goes back to what guy was saying. Well, Look, you don't have to go in with a limited skill set. Exactly. That's right. We got plenty of tools out there to help. We got lots of tools. I mean, go to the academy and, and yeah, learn those you. skills. Go to Elk 101, go to the Elk Collective, go, uh, go to one of Dan State, Staten's camp, um, get on, uh, Chris Rowe stuff. If you don't have the Elk Nut, if you don't have Paul Medell stuff on there, then man, I tell you what, that's a no brainer right there. That is, that is $11 worth of investment in, and you're going to spend thousands of dollars to go elk hunt. I mean, uh, you know, for the price of our camp, it's less than a tank of gas. We'll shoot now. I think it's half a tank now. <laughs> so, oh, no doubt. We've said so, it before in our podcast too, is like the importance of knowledge, right? I mean, we've broken it down in several yeah. podcasts and, and, and said it. And so I think Guy's point there was super important to bring up because it's just like, you know, um, you you may have a lot of time in your hands to go out there and experience it yourself, but you know the the amount of time that you're the learning the amount of time that you're going to save on your learning curve by having the exposure, and especially nowadays with the technology, right? The podcast, right. the the right. way that the, the academy is set up, um, you can absorb so much information uh, nowadays, and and especially when you have time to do it, right? So from now until it's hunting time, there's so much that you can absorb and learn, and you'll be surprised how much it will benefit you when you're out there in the woods, and things are going to start clicking. You know, and, and don't look now. With Elk Bros Adventures, you, you'll be able to get a coach to come with you in camp. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've got – when you start checking that, you're going to see other things that are happening with that. But one thing I, I, I wanted to note, too, is I wish Colorado would look a little bit at New Mexico – because, I mean, we hunt from the 1st to the 24th. We ha- And if you're worried about giving those ch- bulls a chance to rut, man, you've got the 25th through the 1st. You'd put that muzzleloader hunt on the 2nd or on the 8th, and then you do one rifle hunt after that. And then you start skipping your weeks. There's ways of putting – and I'm sorry, I kind of got on the wrong soapbox. I know I That's did that, right. but, you know, I, I, I just don't like the idea of putting – firearms and dudes a muzzle loader is a friggin' firearm right in the middle of an archery season when guys are out there trying to sound and look uh like an elk you know it just doesn't make sense to me okay so i'll I'll jump off that let's talk about the rifle a little bit so what i'm going to do is i'm going to go back to our full season here and 
and talk about it because it just depends on the state you're in. Some people have muzzle loaders like Colorado in the middle. Some don't have them till later on, um, during October, uh, November, December, just depends on your state and what they have. So when I take a look at the overall that we have here and we look at this, and I'm going to, if you look at when I broke down personally, what I broke down was what I saw were the best times to hunt in October. And does, so let me explain this. I said from the first through the eighth, because if you heard Gilbert, Gilbert, what's the first through the eighth like, man? Oh my gosh. Of, of October? Yes, sir. Oh my gosh. Dude, it's a, I mean, you won't be able to sleep at night if you're sleeping outdoors because right. they are cranking all, all night, all day. Uh, it is an absolute crazy siege of bulls rutting and cows, you know, lots of fights going on. And I mean, I don't know how many times RC, RC and I got to hunt quite a bit together, uh, during the muzzleloader season there. And I'm telling you, you could just make a little cow sound and here they come. It was, it was nuts. And we've got a friend of ours, Steve Tucker, that RC called him more big bulls for Steve Tucker than anybody I've ever seen with a muzzleloader. And, uh, I'm talking big bulls too. I'm not talking about little dinks. I'm talking about big bulls that were, you know, obviously a herd type bull, but didn't have a whole lot of herds, but they were looking to gather more cows and everything. So any little sounds you made, it was just, it was crazy um, in, in all kinds of weather too on, on our seat. Oh, it was, yeah. it was yeah. super cold, super cold. windy, didn't matter, you know. So the best time when I, if I was to say the best times for a muzzleloader or rifle hunter in the month of October, I'm going to take that first part of October and I'm going to take the last part. The reason being on the last part is now the dark moon does matter. Okay. Yep. Because if you're somebody that's waiting for animals in open areas or being able to bino them up and stuff, you want them out as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Plus, you know, what what happens is is from about the eighth on, these bulls, the big bulls split off. If you're after just any bull, it's not a big deal. But those big guys, they're tired. They jump off, man, and they go find a hole. So it's a real hard time to find a big bull out there. Now, what the later you can get there, maybe you might have bulls that start to show up again out of there. They've started to recover a little bit and they're starting to show up and they're going to stay out a little bit longer and you know, they're going to come out a little bit sooner. So that's why I say that now I'm going to go through November and December real quick because it's an easy, if I had to hunt in November um, again, I want to go as further back in that month as I can because the further I go, the more those bulls are going to come out. They're going to start showing themselves. They're going to start bacheloring up. They're going to be in a little bit bigger groups. They're going to be easier to spot the later I get there, and they're going to be more hungry. And the later I go in that month, the more chance for snow. I like snow for hunting elk. So that's that's me, right? And I do the same thing. December, I'm sorry, y'all. Any time in December I think is a good time to get a big bull. But if of all the dates, only because I'd go with the end of it, just again, because of the dark moon, right? That's the only reason I would do that. But I think all of December is a great time to get a big bull because they have to eat. They're trying to survive the winter and they start to show themselves. And they'll be like, care less about you sometimes. They're just feeding so much, right? 
Now, with that said, we're going to take a look at Colorado again. So for you guys that are interested in Colorado, and if you take a look at that, Colorado has their first, has their first rifle hunt on the 15th. Okay. That can be a tough hunt right there for big bulls. There are still going to be bulls with cows at that period in time, man. They're still going to be bulls. They're going to be talking. They're not necessarily talking because they're breeding. They're talking because they're working it. They're actually in roll for the following year. Okay. Um, so that 15th in October, you know, it's the only choice that you have there. I wouldn't be hunting on the 20th. I'd be hunting that one right there. That's really your only choice. I, I really think Colorado wastes an opportunity in October to have a good muzzleloader hunt there and then to do a rifle hunt as well. It's just my opinion. Um, that's how I feel about it. When you go to November, from the information that I've just said, guys, if you, what would you select out of the second, third, and fourth rifle hunt to be able, RC, you take a look at that, man, and which one would you go for? I'd go with the fourth. Luis, what do you think, man? Fourth as well. Yeah. So what's our reasoning? Dark moon. Dark moon. Dark moon. <laughs> Later. They're out, they're out feeding. Trying to get those bulls when they're coming back out feeding, when they're starting to bachelor up, right? The you might have snow. Hopefully have snow. snow. Yep. Yeah, Absolutely. you could have snow. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. <clears throat> so um they have no hunt in December that I know of in Colorado. So that pretty much covers them. So when we take a look at New Mexico and we take a look at New Mexico hunts, they go boom, boom, boom right away in October. Now they're, you know, we don't show any hunts in November or December. They're seeing all of them happening right here. Are there some hunts there? It depends on the unit. There are some hunts in November. There may even be some hunts in December, but it's, it's, it's unit specific. As far as large overall times, these are pretty much them. The 8th through the 12th, the 15th through the 19th and the 22nd to the 26th. Me, if I had a choice of any of those hunts there. Same thing. Which one? Same thing. Same thing, 22nd through the 26th. 26th. Yeah. For, but for me, I'm, I'm, I'm actually well, going to. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be, they're going to be screaming then at the oh, 8th through the crazy. 12th. Yeah. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. So you still have bulls that might not have split off on the 8th through the 12th. I think that's really a good time right there. I mean, really, Joe, it looks like on, on that October hunt, either side of the 13th would, would be good, be right? Good, yep. You know, I mean, looking at that, you're getting, you know, that, that moon's in transition. It's, it's not, uh, not as bright on that, that backside of the 13th there. And if you had a cow or two that come into that, you know, that late estrus there, that'd be, uh, well, seem like that purple would be prime. So if, if you looked at it, the 8th through the 12th would be my first choice just because of the vocality. If I had to have a second choice, it'd be that 26 because it's on that dark moon there. That, right. You know, um, and just so I can get bulls active, you know, a little bit, uh, later and a little bit slower. So, uh, but it's the same. We're talking the same strategies, no matter what, right? We're talking the same strategies. It's all about when the animals are vocal, you know, whether or not we're after a big bull, like you had said, um, earlier when you were talking guy about, you know, I'd go to Colorado and I could get a cow 
or a bull because I just want to get an elk. If you want any elk, that's important. If you're somebody that is after a big mature bull, then you got to kind of look at things a little bit differently at that, you know, and and you got to look at your, go ahead, man. Uh, I'm going to kind of thwart the whole conversation, (laughs) you know, listening to this as we talk about it and, and getting into the strategy, right. And we, we talk about the vocalization, right. Which you, you know, I've said it a billion times, the sex appeal of elk hunting, right. But there's something to be said about the skill set and going in when the voles aren't as vocal, right. Because it's elk hunting, right. You're going to fail. I would rather fail in that early season when I have to build my repertoire, when I have more opportunity. I'm going to fail a million times in that early season versus having vocal bulls, screaming bulls. You know, I'm, I'm less likely. It's sort of like my wild thing, right? I was in pulling wild the 21st and arrowed a bull at 7 a.m. on the 22nd. Um, I didn't learn anything. Yeah. Um, now going in, you know, the, these years in, in Colorado and it's, you know, I'm there on opener, right? And I mean, it's just the amount. That you can learn, right? That education, if you're a guy that only has seven days, you're going to get so much more education when it's a little harder to chase those animals than you are if you're, if you're, you know, in, in a scream fest, in a rut fest. So I, I would just say, man, what kind of elk hunter do you want to be? Well, for, for me, for me, you want to kill 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 that booger on the first day and then go get your education. Right. There you go. Yeah. You know. I mean, yeah, how many days have we done that, Joe? Oh, you know, yeah. we go hunting with everybody else anyway, right? We're going cameraman and we're, we're calling or what I mean, Chav and I, we actually, you know, went back out and sat with a herd of two times, went back out and sat with a herd of elk, listened to bull talk. I got to really refine more of my calling with them, watching how they respond, all of that. I mean, I, that was a true education for me to be able to do that, you know, Absolutely. and then going out with the mafia or going out with whomever you and Chav, I mean, it was that I love to do that. I'm, I'm like, God, give me that first day bull, that dumb one. I'm putting an arrow in him. And then man, I can go have fun with my bros, you know, or a cow. I'm not smart enough. Or a cow. I ain't, I ain't, I ain't, uh, Discriminating. I'm not smart enough to put it in the dumb one, man. I'm always looking for the one that's going to kick my butt. <laughs> hey, man, look, you know, but you're, you're, that's, that's what you want to do, guy. And that's the kind of hunter you want to be. You know, I've been there. I've, I've killed some really nice bulls and, and sometimes some bulls get in the way, you know. Guy is hunting so, to hunt. Guy is right. hunting to hunt. It's, exactly. It's, I mean, he you has- asked RC Knox how many years I did that guy. I mean, I, I made RC mad as hell at me. I know <laughs> he won't say it now, but I guarantee he wanted to thump my noggin several times because I just wouldn't pull the trigger. I, it had to be the bull, right. not a bull. You know so what I mean? Go ahead, guy. It, it's education, right? And mm-hmm. that's what I said it earlier. I, I, what kind of elk hunter do you want to be? I want to, I want to build my repertoire, educate myself so I can go be that 98 percentile guy right? yeah. once you get through that. I, I don't want to be that 10 percent, you know, or, or, you know, sitting in that percent, you know, every year. Well, if you, if you think about it this way, if you hunt five days, five days for five years, you've got less than a month of experience hunting elk. So the worst thing that you could do is, you know, it doesn't matter if you kill on the second day, man. Keep gaining experience. Mm -hmm. Keep learning these animals. Tab and I, we go through the summer. You know, we go in all times of the year to see what these animals are doing, how they react. You know, I was in a blind with Luis, and, you know, there was a deer. 
<laughs> there were deer out in front of us and I'm making noises on my bow, you know? And, and Luis was like, dude, like kid, what are you doing? Dude. don't educate him. I was like, no, I'm educating me. I wanted to find out how much I could get away. I do it with elk all the time. Mm-hmm. I get in a situation to try to find out because I think a lot of times we get in situations with elk and we create our own anxiety. You know, I've, I've been around elk where I'm like, oh, they're going to go away. They're going to run. They're going to, you know, you, you create all these monsters under the bed instead of chilling a little bit, enjoying the moment, relaxing and letting the hunt come to you. Come to you. And Mm -hmm. and I've killed elk where now I'm relaxed with a bull in front of me. And it's like, they'll freaking walk right up to me five yards away. I, I, I do my arms like I'm shooting my bow, all these things. (laughs) And it's like, wow, I can get away with a lot more. I don't work for them hogs. What's that? <laughs> How did that work from them hogs moving your arms like that and your bow? Throwing his mittens off. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know when I was stalking them, I walked right up to them puppies, man. So yeah. it was a little bit better. Their eyes are not as good as their nose and their, their ears. So. Oh, their nose is amazing. It's the best I've ever seen in my life. You think a bull or a cow elk's got a great nose. They ain't got nothing on a dead But look, home. you know what's no, so but there's some, but there's something to what you're saying, Joe. And I, and I agree. I, I, you know, I've noticed too that, you know, sometimes when the Vito Lacas get the worst of me, I feel like they can sense that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Not a real word. Yeah. Every time I hear it, man. Real word, man. RC, I don't know if you heard that story, man. I'm sitting there at my work and I'm talking to one of my guys and, you know, he's asking me about hunting and I'm like, yeah, man, you get the vitilakis. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I got a legitimate word here. And he looks at me all puzzled, like, oh, okay. And he's come to find out these fools made the word up. <laughs> So much for my bilingual skills. It's a, ma- it's a mafia-driven word, man. Straight oh, slang man. from the from the, oh. the from the shores of. We gotta uh, get that in some kind of urban dictionary. Bequisimento, yeah. yeah. right? From the shores yeah, of Manano's dad came up with that word. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> so but yeah, I mean, I feel like they can sense it. You know, they. I, I agree with you, I, man. I, I, I think know. we There's put off. To it. I think we put off and maybe it's kind of weird to say, but there's an electromagnetic mm-hmm. deal that we've got inside of us. And when we're in real heightened awareness, I think just like dogs and bees can smell fear and stuff. I think other animals are in tune to that kind of stuff. We right? give the them the heavy jibbies. Well, you have the hex suits. You have hex suits for hunting. You have hex suits for when you're in the water around sharks. <laughs> so it's, it's legitimate. It blocks that, that you know, that wave field that we produce. Yeah. That's legitimate yeah. stuff, Gil. I, th- I think I, I would, I would think it is. I've never hunted with a hex suit or anything like that, but I've watched some of their findings. It's scientific, looks pretty mm-hmm. cool to me. Um, and look good on those guys figuring out some things. Cause we I did get, I did get a hex suit and I don't know that it made much difference, but you, you guys, <laughs> That's the you guys had me like lost for a little bit. I was like, you're talking about hexes. I, I thought people were like putting hexes on some bad, like free <laughs> green on somebody. <laughs> I was like, heebie-jeebies. That's that Cali Coon ass coming out. I'm telling you straight talking about hex, hex suits, heebie-jeebies and beetle-lackers. over it. I, but I don't know about you guys, but I totally believe in the sixth sense. I don't know how oh, many no times doubt. I've been walking 
and feel like something's looking at me and turn only to see an animal and I staring at each other, man. So mm-hmm. I, yeah. I do believe in that. I, 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 that's just me, man. I believe yeah. in that. Me too. Yeah. One time Joe and I were walking and I felt like something was looking at us and I turned and looked and I had to hit him in the back with a stick to get him to stop because he was going to walk right through the middle of a herd of elk. And I'm like, Joe, stop. And he goes, what? I said, dude, I think we're right here in the middle of of a herd of elk, there's some elk up ahead. He goes, get me my binoculars, man. So I dig in his pack, get him his binoculars, and he looks Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's elk right there. Hey, <laughs> Ended up killing two bulls out of that set that morning, man. Hey, this is, this is pretty cool. So, so Rich Scott, right? He's a, he's an elk bros grinder, man. And he's, he's messaging me because he knows I moved here. And he's uh-huh. like, man, we, we hunt right there. So he's been, we've been texting back and forth for a minute. So I'm going to send him that picture real quick. Oh, you're, you're talking about Scott Baker. Yeah. 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 No, Rich Scott. Yeah. Well, he goes, but his name is actually, uh, his, his name is Scott Baker. He's in witness okay. protection, dude. There you go. There's yeah. this guy right yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. You look yeah. at the Elk Bros shirt his, on right yeah. there. Buddy. With, his, <laughs> with, with his daughter, Lola, who recently had a birthday. Happy birthday, Lola. Yeah, happy birthday. All right, dudes, man, I think we covered this uh, as much as we're going to cover it, and I hope this helps everybody out. If you have any questions or any comments, just throw them our way, man. Gil. An unbelievable show tonight. Always way, way cool to have, you know, Guy on the yeah, show guy, with us. Thanks, man. Thanks for yeah. Guy. Always Always a pleasure. Pleasure. Got a magical voice. Love, love him spending time with us. Can't wait to do some more stuff with him. Guys, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate and review us. You got to go to Apple podcast or iTunes to review us. And you can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. And just a reminder to all our listeners out there, if you'd like your questions answered on our show, just send your questions to info at elkbros.com. That's info at elkbros.com. And like we say down here in the Lone Star State, husbands kiss your wives, wives kiss your husbands, hug your babies, keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Yes, sir. And who, who, what are we going to hear? And for all our grinders out there, here's some more <laughs> music from our brother from the West, Mr. Tony Wintrip. Wintrip! <laughs> peace, peace, everybody. Peace, peace. Thank you. Peace. Thanks, boys. I'd like to put my tag on you. I've been hunting a lot of years. I had one too many missed shots and one too many beers. I saw you rolling in when the lights went down But you never even had a clue So I left the blind on a Sunday afternoon I think I'd like to put my tag on you Well, I spent a couple nights in the window Watching the wind blow by I'm wondering where you're gonna make your bed at And where you go with that sunrise Do you see yourself in the hands of a man with the working man blues I think I'd like to put my tag on you Put my tag on you
Put my tag on you. Oh yeah, baby. 